Let's open our Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. The preaching of the Word of God. By His blessing, the Spirit wrote it. The Spirit regenerated us, giving us eyes and ears to see and to hear. And He is the witness through the preaching of His Word. God's chosen way of revealing His truth to us. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3. Wherefore I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed, and that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord, but by the Holy Ghost. Amen and amen. I will use this as my introductory text for this day's preaching. I have been using 1 Thessalonians 4.1, where the Apostle Paul besought the Thessalonian church that they would walk in the ways that he had delivered to them and that they would abound in those ways more and more. One of those ways is right here before us, that the Spirit of God's ministry is to reveal Jesus Christ and that no one can say sincerely that Jesus is Lord, but by the Holy Ghost. You know, we could chase this little rabbit and point out that without regeneration, you can never call upon the name of the Lord, which is true, but that's not our point today. Our point today is that the ministry of the Holy Spirit of God is to reveal the Lord Jesus Christ to His people and to lead us to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Before we get into the Holy Spirit, I, I promised you in my preparatory email and that I would, and so now I am going to briefly review things that we ought to change personally or as a church in order to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ more. So very briefly, let me run through a number of things with you, many of which I mentioned last Sunday. The Lord's graciously shown us over the last 35 years, to a greater emphasis of Christ, Jesus the person, the man, our Redeemer and Savior, than we once emphasized Him. We're thankful for that. Let's make every subject that we take up from the Word of God point to Him, because that is scriptural. Jesus said, search the Scriptures, for they testify of Me. And we want to see the Lord Jesus Christ wherever we turn. You know that even with the vast majority of the Proverbs, we're able to end with something about the Lord Jesus Christ because He is the only one that's ever kept the Proverbs perfectly. The writer of the book of Proverbs certainly didn't keep the Proverbs perfectly, but the Lord Jesus Christ did. Let us choose songs that predominantly speak of Him over merely spiritual songs. I'm not going to elaborate today on these things. We want to emphasize the experiential and the experimental knowledge of Jesus Christ. That means the practical working out of knowing Him in our lives over the intellectual assent to the facts of the gospel. We want to reach far beyond mentally believing on Jesus to living the life that He would have us to live and to living Him through us. Like Paul said in Philippians 3.10, we want to pray as Paul did, for greater revelation of Jesus Christ. We want to minimize talk about heaven for its own sake, but rather for the sake of the Son of God who is waiting for us there. Let us use the name of Jesus frequently. In spite of the fact that Jesus freaks, Pentecostals and others use it so flippantly. 
We can't let that discourage us. The name of Jesus is the name that God has made above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. We should not be ashamed of that Jesus. I was ashamed of that Jesus as long as there were pictures hanging around of that long-haired John Lennon, Charles Manson look-alike. Who wouldn't be ashamed of that thing? But that isn't the Jesus of the Bible. That isn't even a second cousin to the Jesus of the Bible. We shouldn't be ashamed of that name. That name is Jehovah is the Savior. That is, I am that I am saves. That's what Jesus means. And we shouldn't be ashamed of that name. And let's use that name. That name will cause division faster than any other single words you can ever let out of your mouth is the name of Jesus. The name of God won't cause any division at all because everyone worships a God. Some the God of this world, some the God of the Muslims, some the God of the Christians, some the God of the Jews, and so forth. They have all believe in God. Don't cheat. Don't deny Christ by using the name or word God. Use the name of Jesus. And you'll see a difference in your friends. Those at work that you think are your friends. Use the name of Jesus. Let's talk about... Let's not talk about God like Mormons and Muslims do, but let's speak of Christ, as I just mentioned. Rather than our proprietary doctrines, like seven proofs and five phases, let's make sure the person stands forth. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. Rather than emphasize the corruption of Revelation 3.20, let's embrace the fact that Jesus Christ will come in and have personal fellowship with us. While mocking foolish free will missionary folly, let's make sure that we share knowledge about the Lord Jesus Christ with anyone we find that we care about or that shows an interest. Like Andrew did with Simon Peter and like Philip did with Nathaniel. When we gather in public or private, let's speak of the Lord Jesus Christ and salvation by Him. Will you sing every day about Jesus Christ? Why not? If not sing, then listen to singing about Him. Let us make sure in praying that we give glory to the Lord Jesus Christ and we pray to know Him further. To maximize the glory of Christ, let's maximize our wretchedness. As Paul did in Romans 7, Who shall deliver, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ my Lord. Even in the Bible, we need to choose Christ as topic and direct all topics to Christ. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. I don't care if we're studying Alexander the Great or Cyrus the Persian. It all leads to who is the King of kings? Who is the Prince of the kings of the earth? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our all in all, and He is the sovereign ruler of the universe, and He reigns over all with a rod of iron. We must think, speak, and examine ourselves to maintain our first hot love of Jesus Christ. That does not come naturally at all. It only comes spiritually by the power of the Spirit, but we have to make the effort to remember from whence we are fallen to repent and do the first works. Each member of your family should have a personal, intimate time with Christ daily. Each person should find out when that works the best for them. Do you have favorite songs to sing or hear or passages to read or hear about Christ? Can you identify them? If you can't identify them rather quickly, you don't have any. Because if you're ever making use of them, you they're right there. 
And you should be able to do so. What is your favorite sermon about Jesus Christ? Do you know how to find it and listen to it again? You want to take time to quietly meditate with Christ, even in this busy century. The Bible says in Psalm 4.4, Stand in awe and sin not. Commune with your own heart upon your bed and be still. Selah. Psalm 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God. This world wants to make our lives so busy. Your flesh wants to make your life so busy. The devil is very glad to see you busy because you don't have time for the Lord Jesus Christ. But you got to make time, even if it's in bed. And bed can be one of your favorite times. It was David's favorite time, one of his favorite times. He mentions it repeatedly. I love bed because it's dark and no one can reach me. And nothing can distract me. And if that's a place where you can have communion, it says so right here. Commune with your own heart upon your bed and be still. Instead of worrying about everything else in your life, which combined together is all worthless, you ought to be thinking on Christ. And we must take time to do that. Jesus has many names in the Bible. Do you know them? What is your favorite? We will always vigorously oppose preaching and preachers like Joel's bankrupt content because it must be Christ emphasized by preachers. We're going to reject WWJD junk as so many phylacteries of the Pharisees, but still we need to conform our lives to look like Jesus Christ. We should pray about increasing the frequency of the Lord's Supper as a possible thing that we could do in the future, even if it was for a temporary period of time, for us to emphasize His crucifixion more frequently to us. Let's not fret about government, because Jesus reigns over all. Your fretting indicates a lack of belief and faith in Him or knowledge that He reigns over all, and that there is one higher than they. If a greater than Solomon is here, let us exalt the gospel of salvation over the book of Proverbs. Rather than be Baptists, let's be Bible Christians, since John was inferior to Jesus. We are Baptists, but we want to be Bible Christians, followers of Christ first. He was a Baptist. I'm not confused about it. I just want to make sure that we're always thinking of our point of emphasis. Many are Baptists because their granddaddy was a Baptist. And that is a really, really weak reason to be a Baptist. Making a change begins in our hearts and minds, then in our homes, and then in our church. Though we do rightly hate Baal Mass, we can and should appreciate the virgin birth. Every act of obedience should be an act of love to Jesus Christ, and God will reveal Jesus Christ more to us. John 14, 21 promises us that. If we really want to know Christ more, everything you do as a wife, everything you do as a mother, everything you do as a worker on the job, if you do it unto Christ, God will reveal more of His Son to you. He promises. Our second greatest need coming next is the Holy Spirit, which is what we're going to deal with today, and the Holy Spirit's ministry to reveal Jesus Christ. So that's why we started with 1 Corinthians 12.3. And the Holy Spirit has led us through the Bible and has led me to introduce the subject of the Holy Spirit by talking about what we can do to exalt Jesus Christ more 
because that's the constant ministry of the Holy Spirit is to lift up the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we were to put Him first and leave out the object of His ministry, it would be offensive. Because in the Bible, He's always behind the scenes pushing the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what we want to do. So now we're going to do that. And we did it with 1 Corinthians chapter 12, that without the Spirit of God, we could never say that Jesus is Lord. And we have said Jesus is Lord. Now there are people that say Jesus is Lord, and they're going to say Jesus is Lord when they stand before Him, and He is going to cast them into eternal torment. They are going to say, Lord! That's calling Jesus Lord. Lord! I never knew you. The only way that you can show any evidence of knowing Him is to live a Spirit-filled, victorious, Christ-like, Bible-centered life. A changed life. The whining, the complaining, the weakness, the fleshly thoughts, the fleshly concerns of a natural man shouldn't be part of our lives. Nothing in your life matters. Nothing. Compared to the Lord Jesus Christ. He ought to always be first and center. And the Holy Spirit wants it that way. So let's talk about the Holy Spirit. You may turn to Genesis chapter 1. Let's go right to the beginning of the Bible. One of the simplest things to say is, the Holy Spirit is God. Don't be confused. The Holy Spirit isn't an energy force. The Holy Spirit is God. God has chosen to exist in three persons. And those persons, as they are explained to us in the Bible, have different sorts of relationships to us. The Spirit of God is the, is, and I, I want to be very careful in my choice of words, and I don't really want to use any to try to explain Him other than what the Bible says. But the operative person, many times, is the Spirit of God. The personal presence of God with us is the Spirit of God. And the distinctions have to be guarded carefully that we don't try to pull God apart and put God the Father way up there and God the Holy Spirit way down here and God the Word in the Lord Jesus Christ at God's right hand in heaven. We want to be careful because God in His divine nature fills heaven and earth He's everywhere at all times in all three persons, but He has chosen, He has chosen to reveal that His Holy Spirit operates in the world and His Holy Spirit is the one that dwells in us because we have a spirit part of us inside our bodies and that spirit of God is able to dwell with us, communicate with us, influence us, strengthen us in our spirit. You have something that is very real and very distinct that cannot be seen with the naked eye. And I've watched it happen several times in the last few years of dear people to me depart this world because their spirits departed and their bodies were left here. But as soon as the spirit left the body, the distinction and the difference was profound. We have that spirit. We have a spirit. And the spirit of God relates to our spirit. We cannot be, let's get going on the Holy Spirit of God, because it is the second most important thing for us to emphasize more in our church going forward. If we want to be a great church in the sight of God, we cannot be afraid, ashamed, or embarrassed of this glorious, great topic for our growth. 
There's a reason why we are. The Charismatics and Pentecostals have destroyed the doctrine of the Holy Ghost because they've never met Him. They know nothing of Him. They are so ignorant that they can't even read what He puts in writing as to how they're supposed to use spiritual gifts. They will babble all day long about babbling. Have you ever talked to one? They will babble about babbling. And I'm speaking about their idea of the gift of tongues. They will babble about babbling because they don't know anything about the gift of tongues. They can't even read the Bible that has very specific and a number of them rules on how to use the Bible gift of tongues. They have corrupted it. They are an effeminate brand of religion. There are some denominations in our country that are masculine. Charismatics and Pentecostals have never been accused of being masculine. They cater to women, and the men that do fall subject to them are effeminate. Benny is one of our great examples. That's the fairy that prances around in his white suit with his white patent leather shoes, and he's one of their great men of God. Well, when I look at him, I don't see God or a man. And because we see and hear enough of that stuff... Anything that sounds like charismatic or Pentecostal religion, even the mention of the Holy Ghost kind of makes us cringe because we don't want to have anything to do with those lunatics that are the fringe element that no one ever heard of until 1901. Go look it up. Go punch in Pentecostal or charismatic into a Google search box and find out that January 1st, 1901, I don't was the first time anyone ever spoke in tongues in America. And then go read about what they did after that. The Azusa Street Mission in Los Angeles. Go read about the mess that they created. And so now today we have barking revivals. We have Kenneth Hagen and the other Kenneth uh, Copeland. You know, they'll crawl around and bark. These are their great men of God. Full of the devil, barking, crawling around, being led by having women lead them on leashes. Now you've got to go type that into Google and then click video so that you can watch it. Or YouTube. They slay in the spirit. You know, Benny will blow on you or wave his hand like that and, and drop his whole choir. 250 people at once will fall into their chairs and you ask me, Are they faking it? Yes. Is the devil causing it? Yes. Are you confused? They're doing both. The Holy Spirit isn't within a mile of the place. And so because of that, and there's so much more that I could say, oh, it is disgusting what they do. They've had a laughing revival in Toronto for the last 20 or 30 years All they do is get together in a room and just laugh. Sit there and laugh. Fall out of their chairs and just laugh on the floor, possessed by the devil. And so when we hear the word Holy Ghost, or Holy Ghost Revival, or Pentecostal Power, they've stolen those words from us. Those are our words. Because the power at Pentecost wasn't anything like what they do. The power at Pentecost took Peter, a fisherman, who preached Christ and Him crucified. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly 
that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Repent. And with many other words that he testify and exhort, saying, save yourselves from this this untoward generation. He had one sentence that said, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the baptism of the gift of the Holy Ghost. Nowhere does he talk about an anointing. I get sick of hearing them yapping about the anointing. The anointing. The anointing. The anointing. The anointing. It's all they do. The anointing. Their meaning being anointed by the devil. So that you can have devils in you. The anointing. Do you know what preachers are supposed to be constantly talking about? The crucifixion. The resurrection. The ascension. Not the anointing. The anointing. You know, the noise sounds familiar to you and it's correct. Yes, amen. Oink, oink. Right. Amen. They make me sick. Amen. But do you know what, what, it's, what it causes? Us to dislike the doctrine of the Holy Ghost. And the Holy Spirit is ours. And the Holy Spirit makes fun of false religion. You need to read the Bible to find out how, what the Holy Spirit writes down for us to know about His operation in His preachers. They make fun of false religion. So don't try to write me about it. I don't think any of you will. We cannot be afraid, ashamed, or embarrassed of this great subject. Baptists are too fearful of the matter due to their rightful fear and rejection of Pentecostals. While rejecting charismatic perversion of the truth, we don't want to neglect the Holy Spirit of the living God. There is nothing cheap, effeminate, or weak about the Holy Spirit. About Benny Hinn? Yes. On all points and a whole lot more that I have reserved from saying. Mark your calendars. Charismatics and Pentecostals are the most ignorant people about the Holy Spirit and they claim to be the only ones with the Holy Spirit. Their slaying in the Spirit and all that stuff is devil worship if we have any judgment at all. The Holy Spirit is God. Don't be confused about Him. It is a Him. He can be grieved because He is God. God can be grieved with our lives. And the Holy Spirit can be grieved. So it says, grieve not the Spirit of God. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30, He deals with us by these three persons that He has chosen. He is our Creator. Look at how the Bible begins. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void. And darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. The operative person in this passage of creation is the Spirit of God. In the beginning, God created. But then immediately in verse 2, the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And when the Spirit of God moves, things happen. And brethren, forget them. When the Spirit of God moves, things happen. And the Spirit of God can move you. And the Spirit of God can move in you. And the Spirit of God can move in our church. And we want the Spirit of God to move in us and in our church. And when He moves, things happen. Lord, help us. And it's not a healing service. Oh, I... We sang a great song there. Number 338 in the red hymnals. That second verse said, 
I'm not seeking any tongues or prophecies or ecstatic uh, visions from heaven. I'm not seeking to see angels. I'm not seeking any tearing of this veil of this body of flesh. I just want the dimness of my soul taken away. Do you know how much power that takes? It takes more power than it did to take away the darkness that was upon the face of the deep. You say, how can you make comparisons like that? Well, I like my brother Paul in Ephesians chapter 1 that says for any one of us to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, it took the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Because we had to be quickened and resurrected in order to believe Him. And so I enjoyed singing that Presbyterian song. We don't know about the, about the particular author of it, but it's in a Presbyterian hymnal. And they understand that uh, the apostolic gifts of the Holy Ghost went away with the apostles. Does that make sense to you? That apostolic gifts go away with the apostles? Do you understand what the word apostolic means? You know, do you know who is buried in Grant's tomb? Do you know where the Paris peace talks were held? If they're apostolic gifts, when, exactly, they're gone. And so that particular songwriter was saying, I'm not looking for any of those things. As I, as I was, was anybody else here when we were reading, singing that verse thinking, boy, a charismatic sure couldn't sing that song. Couldn't sing verse 2, I'm not looking for this, I'm not looking for that, I'm not looking for this. And you look at that list of things in verse 2 of that particular song, and it's the things that all the charismatics look for every time they get together. Because they don't want to hear about doctrine, they don't want to hear about preaching, they don't want to hear about Christ, they don't want to hear about holy living. They just want to get in the mood, have a praise band banging loud and long enough that they can be taken over by devils and slay in the spirit, bark on the ground, laugh, and do the rest of the stuff that they do. Uh, are there any are there any charismatics or Pentecostals going to heaven? Of course. Of course. Are there any Corinthians going to heaven? Of course. But they barely got there. They got there with the Lord killing them for their abuse of the Lord's Supper. And he called them babies and carnal. And that Paul couldn't preach to them the meat of the gospel because they still needed milk. They were pitiful. They were a problem to the apostle. He said, the more I love you, the less I be loved. That's what you get with a charismatic church because all he wanted to do was preach Christ. The Spirit of God. He's our Creator and He regenerates us. Look at Job 33 and verse 4 so that we can see Elihu speaking of the Spirit of God. Job chapter 33 and verse 4, The Spirit of God hath made me, and the breath of the Almighty hath given me life. The Holy Spirit is God, and it's the, the, it's the name of the person in the Godhead that relates personally to us, indwells us, created us, regenerates us, resurrects our dead body. We want to embrace, we want to love God. We don't want to just love God the Father because you're afraid of the Holy Ghost, that if you love Him, you might end up being a Pentecostal. The Holy Ghost is God. The word, Jesus Christ is the Word of God made flesh. He's chosen to reveal Himself that way, and we want to appreciate Him as He has revealed Himself to us. In John chapter 3, we're born again by the Spirit of God. John chapter 3, and we had a great passage read to us today to give us understanding of this. John chapter 3 and verse 5, 
Jesus answered Nicodemus, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That's your first birth. And that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. That is your second birth. That's your new man that you have. Marvel not that I said unto thee, Ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. He's your Creator in in giving you a fleshly life, earthly existence, and He regenerated you so that you have a spiritual new man inside you. In Titus 3.5, Paul wrote, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, making us new all over again by the Holy Ghost. He is the presence of God with us. He is called the Comforter by Jesus for your comfort. With a capital C. He's our Comforter. To to be comforted is to receive strength and assurance. Conviction. Hope. To be comforted. The Holy Spirit does that. It is God dealing with us on this personal level of our feelings. But we don't go seeking the feelings. We go seeking Pleasing God and the Holy Spirit will give us those feelings by His power. Because when He moves, things happen. That's why Romans 15, 13, Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that ye may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Ghost. See, I'd much rather have that than babble in some gibberish that I used to hear coming from the cribs in my house. I'd much rather be filled with all joy and peace and abound in hope. That is in, that is phenomenal. By nature, I am a critical negative person. So that joy goes out the window. By nature... I want to find what's wrong in your life. So there goes peace out the window. It's not very hard. Because it's you, remember? Uh, Joy, I'm just going to pick on both of us. And I don't have much hope because I can see more negative things faster than you can. It's a gift. It's a terrible gift. To see negative... All my children know that. It's a gift. To see more negative things faster than anyone else. But you know what? The Holy Ghost can change that. When the Holy Spirit moves, it can change you. He can fill you with all joy and peace and cause you to abound in hope. I wonder who this morning is more joyful, more at peace, and more hopeful than I am. And all the glory belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ who purchased for me the gift of the Holy Ghost. And I want you to be thinking about it that way. How how much are you showing Him and, and knowing that He's within you by the changes that He's made in you? He relates to your spirit, whether by praying with you or providing joy and peace. He, he relates to us. He's not just the power of the new birth. He is the person of God in us. And, and so we want to be constantly thinking of Him in male singular pronouns. He and Him rather than it. 
It's not a power. He is the, He is God with us. Not in a fleshly body over here like Jesus Christ who was incarnate, but He is with us, indwelling us. This thing called your body, He says, is His temple. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. He purchased it on the cross of Calvary after creating it. Your body is twice His. He will never lose it. He will put it together again and glorify it in a day that's coming soon, but He's dwelling in that temple right now. Thus, in 1 Corinthians 6, it tells us to avoid all fornication. Because when you commit fornication, you take your body and connect it in a very intimate way with another body, and it's the Holy Spirit in your body being connected to another body that is sinning. And so it is explained that way to us in 1 Corinthians 6. And we want to avoid that. Sometimes I mention to you that if you're going to listen to music, there are two holes of entry for audio sounds into the temple of the Holy Ghost. What kind of music do you want going into the two passageways for audio sounds for the Holy Spirit to hear? The world's music? You are in trouble. And you are going to take our church down and we will eventually discover you and get you out of our church. Because we don't want you here. We want temples of the Holy Ghost that are individuals that listen to sound coming in that pleases the Holy Spirit. And if we all do that collectively, then we're going to have a church that's honoring the Holy Ghost. Because the Holy Spirit gets offended and grieved and quenched rather easily. We have such an easy way to get right with the Holy Spirit of God by confessing our sins. He has promised to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He is called the Holy Spirit, as has been mentioned already, so we want to be holy. And we can be holy by confessing our sins and moving forward. He's the earnest and seal of our redemption. Having the Holy Spirit in us means that we are so different from the world, we've been sealed with God's divine stamp of approval by putting His Spirit within us, and so He's repeatedly called the seal of redemption. Let me show you. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. There's about six references or so to this fact throughout the pages of the New Testament that it's God's seal upon you. And we want that seal to be visible. We want to be able to see in each other the fruit of the Spirit coming through so that we know that God's seal is on that person. And so when it comes time for you to have your body put in the ground, we have something to say that's positive. Oh Lord, help us. We can make our calling and election sure. We can show the Spirit through us. Now if you don't have it in you, it's hard to show it through you. But if we, if we humble ourselves and pray, and I'm gonna, before we get done today, I'll tell you how you can get more Spirit power in your life. We want it shining through us. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1. This is just a typical reference. Verse 22, Who hath also sealed us and given the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. The Holy Spirit is a powerful, wonderful gift in our hearts. There's two things He does. One, He's the earnest. He's the. This is not what He does. He's the earnest of our salvation. You know, when you buy a house or you buy real property, you usually put down earnest money, which is a promise to perform. It's a, it's a guarantee that you will see the rest of the transaction through because you're putting up that money. It's a down payment in effect. 
It's a performance bond. Whatever words that you need, that's what it is. But it's called the earnest here of, of the Spirit. God has given us a foretaste of what it's going to be like in heaven by giving us His Spirit inside us. We're going to spend eternity with the Lord. We're going to be heirs of God. We're going to be His children forever, rejoicing in a sin-free universe with Him. But He's given us the earnest, the down payment, the proof that He's coming, and that proof that He's coming for us, that proof that we're in the book of life, that proof that He loves us, is brought about by those times when you are feeling inside you and you are saying, Abba, Father. Now listen, brethren, when was the last time, how long ago was it, when you were saying, maybe audibly, but you were saying the words inside, Lord, I love you so much, I don't know how to tell you. I love you so much. When was the last time you told him that? Don't raise your hand and tell me it's been several years. Lord, what what causes that? What causes that affection that you're crying, Abba, Father, Father, I love you so much. It's the Holy Spirit. He's the earnest. And it's a seal. And others can see the changed life of quick forgiveness. Oh, you forget, forget, forget it. Forget it. It's nothing. You know, where does that come from? The Holy Spirit of God. Because we wouldn't otherwise do it. His ways are, his ways and thoughts are far above our ways and thoughts when it comes to forgiveness and, and these different things that we can do when our lives line up with the Bible and they line up cheerfully with the Bible and they line up zealously with the Bible. It's the Holy Spirit shining through and the seal can even be seen by others. And the earnest can be seen by others, though we know it from the inside, because the Bible says in Romans 8 and Galatians 4 that we can know it on the inside, that we are sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. Look at Ephesians 1 on this point. It's a great gift of God to give us His Spirit. The Spirit that moved upon the face of the waters and and creation took place. What a blessing! What power! When the Spirit moves, things happen. And I want things to happen in our church and I want things to happen in your life. The, the, the Lord can give you answers to Bible dilemmas. The Lord can give you answers to, to family dilemmas, to financial dilemmas. You go to bed say, feeling rather hopeless and you wake up in the morning with an answer. Where do you think it came from? The, the brilliant exercise of your intellect while you were sound asleep? Eli, who told us in Job 33 that God often deals with us at night. And uh, for those of you that are ever, you know, near me as we're getting closer to bedtime, I often pray that the Lord will do His work while we're in bed. Because the Holy Spirit doesn't really need you awake to communicate something to you. That's, that's pretty powerful, isn't it? Not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, saith the Lord. So sometimes we just feel overwhelmed when we go to bed. Lord, I don't know what to do. You wake up in the morning, you want to run through a wall. You're all ready to go because he's changed you overnight. You say, well, part of that's just getting some rest. I totally agree. But that doesn't take away from the fact that I get an intellectual answer to something that I didn't know the answer to before I went to bed. And when when it's dealing with the Lord Jesus Christ and the truth of his word, I don't think it came from what I ordered on my pizza before I went to bed. Or that I had warm milk, which I've never had. 
Ephesians chapter 1. In whom, verse 13, in whom ye also trusted, speaking of Christ, in whom ye also trusted, comparing these Ephesians to the apostles, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance, until the redemption of the purchased possession, under the praise of His glory. God is coming back for you. He has purchased your body. You are going to be body, soul, and spirit in the presence of God to the praise of His glory. And until then, He's given you the earnest of that inheritance. You have a token of the inheritance. And it's not a jaguar in your driveway as a token of all Dad's going to give you in His written will at the end. It's the Holy Spirit as a token of what heaven's going to be like. And we have that as an earnest of the inheritance. Listen, there are, t- there are times that you should know what I'm talking about, that you feel so close to God and so in love with the Almighty of Heaven and so enjoying His presence and so filled with joy and hope that you say, I don't know how it could get much better. Because it's the earnest of the inheritance. It will be better. That's just mind-blowing. Now, if you're walking in the flesh, anything is better. If you're walking in the flesh, you would actually think that a Greenville Drive game was entertaining. And that's a sorry state of a soul. Don't send me any emails. It's amazing what people get happy about here. You know, I can get pretty happy about things here too, but the things of... Jesus Christ and His Word and the hope of heaven and having a personal relationship with the Almighty God is a totally different level of thing than all these earthly things. He's the earnest and seal. There's a number of other verses. If if you're in this epistle of Ephesians, look over at chapter 4 and verse 30. We often emphasize the first half of the verse because it's what we usually go to the verse 4. Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. Verse 30, grieve not. Don't grieve Him whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. The day of redemption is not looking back to the cross. It's looking forward to the resurrection of our bodies. There's five phases of redemption. We were redeemed at the cross when Jesus paid the redemption price for our sins from the just claims of God against us. But there's a day of redemption when our body is going to be redeemed from the grave. Romans chapter 8, verses 24 and 25 tell us that we are waiting for our adoption. That is the redemption of our bodies. This is the future redemption. And so we have, according to this verse, we are sealed to it. God God has put a seal on us. And the seal on us is that we don't change visually, but we can change in character. We can change in conduct by the power of God's Spirit working through us. And let's show it to the world. You don't have to go speak to them all the time. You don't have to leave tracks instead of a tip. That's outrageously wicked. We want to show it in character change by the Lord God, by His Spirit shining through us. The Holy Spirit is often behind the scenes, but He's powerfully present everywhere as we saw in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 2. Now that's the beginning of the Bible. If we go to the very, very end of the Bible, Revelation chapter 22 and verse 17, and the Spirit... And the bride say, come. 
And let him that heareth say, Come. And let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. This is the 17th verse of the last chapter of your Bible. And the Spirit and the bride say, Come. Through the preaching of God's Word and by His influence in our hearts, the Spirit and the bride are united in this matter. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. That's the emphasis that we want. Don't give us a bigger healing service. Come quickly. So from the very beginning of the Bible to the very end of the Bible, and the Spirit here is moving in the bride of Christ, which is His church. In the beginning, He was creating upon the face of the waters. The Spirit of God is powerful. Brethren, I'm not going to take the time to go through the Old Testament. I have uh, most of the occurrences of the Spirit of God coming upon men in the Old Testament and doing great things. Whether it was Moses, when the Spirit of God would come upon Moses and move Moses, it was a powerful thing. And things happened. Or whether it was Joshua. You know, God had to take some of the Spirit that He had put upon Moses, that ain't Moses' Spirit, and put it on Joshua. Moses had to take the 70 men that he picked and put some of the Spirit upon them. Or it's Othniel, or Gideon, or Jephthah, or Samson, or Saul, or David, or Amasai, or Azariah, or Jehaziel, or Zechariah, or Elihu. All these men are examples of where it says the Spirit of God came upon them and they did great things. That If the Spirit of God comes upon us in a greater measure, we will be better Christians. If He comes upon us in a greater measure, you will be more joyful. You will be more peaceful. You will be more hopeful. You will be more patient. You will be more long-suffering. We should be choosing those things anyway because they are the fruit of the Spirit, but He will enable us with power to be able to bear them. As Joshua wanted to tell you when he read his passage that God has given us divine power that pertains to all things of life and godliness. You have divine power in you by the Holy Spirit to do everything that God wants you to do and to do it in a joyful way, a zealous way, a passionate way, and enjoy doing it. There's no greater joy in the in the world than serving Jesus Christ by the power of the Spirit. There is nothing that even comes close. Sometimes you want to run through a wall. Sometimes you want to jump over a building. And sometimes you just sit there and cry. Because your heart's just full of a different kind of a joy. Sometimes you can hardly breathe. Sometimes you're just saying, you're just telling the Lord that you don't know how to tell Him how much you love Him. Because you're at a loss for words and it's become the unspeakable gift of Him being your friend. Men had great gifts and did great things by the Spirit in the New... Before I leave the Old Testament, it is exciting. When the Bible, when the Spirit of God would move Samson... Did things happen? Did Philistia wish that the Spirit of God would leave Samson alone? The Spirit of God went from Saul. Did Saul have the Spirit of God in the beginning of his reign? Oh, yes. He was a shy and a timid man by nature. But when God called him to be king of Israel, God said, I will give him a new heart and he will become a different man. And God, God filled that seven-foot giant in Israel, seven-six, whatever. He was from the shoulders up, taller than anyone else in Israel. God filled him with courage to be a leader. So anyone that doesn't think you can be a leader, God can give you the ability to lead in whatever assignments He's given you. King Saul gets news that the Ammonites 
have made an incursion against Israel. He takes a yoke of oxen, cuts them in 12 pieces, stuffs them into FedEx envelopes, and sends them to the 12 tribes of Israel, and says, if you're not here by this time tomorrow, this is what your herds are going to look like. Now, does that sound like a guy that at his coronation was hiding in the stuff? What happened to him? What happened to Peter? Along comes a little 12-year-old girl and says, I know you. You were with Jesus of Nazareth. And he curses and swears, I never knew the man. But did you hear him in Acts chapter 2? Let all the house of it. Peter stood up. Do you think Peter was going to let the other ten talk? After the Holy Spirit got a hold of him? What happened to Peter? It says eleven stood up. But who did this? Our brother Peter. And did he do a decent job? How did he understand Joel 2, 28-32 to apply it to that event as powerfully as he did? How did he get Jesus Christ all wrapped up? How did he use... How many, how many semesters of inductive reasoning had Peter ever taken in school? If you've read Acts chapter 2, it is one of the great examples in the Bible of inductive reasoning. Right. Inductive reasoning is taking a whole bunch of particular facts and putting them together with one general conclusion that can only be satisfied by those facts. And he starts down through... David said this, but David said he would never see corruption. But we know that David's sepulcher is still here in this city to this day. <laughs> but we do know that David was a prophet because it says that of him. And he, did, he goes down through these things. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom you have crucified. The point being, what happened to him? But that spirit was taken away from King Saul and given to David. And Saul knew it. And David knew that he had the Spirit of God. And the difference between the two men from then on was, was terrible. And Saul knew that he had been forsaken by God and that David had the Spirit of God. And that's why David behaved himself wisely and why Saul feared him for it. In the New Testament, they did great things. Do you know that the Bible tells us in John 3, 34 that the Holy Spirit was given to Jesus Christ without measure? Are you familiar with that verse? John 3 and verse 34. For he whom God hath sent, John 3, 34, for he whom God hath sent speaketh the words of God, for God giveth not the Spirit by measure unto him. He was, the Spirit was just poured out upon the Lord Jesus Christ there was no measuring of it. The Bible wants us to know about Jesus. It's said similarly in Hebrews chapter 1. Stephen. Stephen was a deacon of the church in Jerusalem. But he was a man full of the Holy Ghost. When he was put on trial, his face shone like an angel. And they could not refute a thing that he said. He could crush their doctors of the law. He wasn't an apostle. He was a deacon but he was full of the Holy Ghost and he crushed the opponents that were brought against him to accuse him of wrongdoing. And then he preaches a sermon in Acts chapter 7 that is spectacular. And he gets to the end and he's fearless. Though he knows they have the power of capital punishment, he says, ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. Now that's a low blow to a Jew, literally and metaphorically. It's a low blow to say, that they were stiff-necked and uncircumcised. And they ran upon him and stoned him to death. 
that he saw the Lord Jesus Christ standing at the right hand of God. And he had the power within him to forgive those that were throwing the stones at him. Lay not this sin to their charge. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. What gives a man that kind of confidence? It's the way every one of us in this room want to die. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit in total confidence, in total peace, total hope, total faith that we're just going to walk right, we're just going to go right through that curtain of death in a chariot of God sent for us and be in the presence of the Lord. We want to die that way. We get ready for it by walking in the spirit. Peter could heal by his shadow. I wonder why Benny has never visited, you know, he visits Greenville every year. Why hasn't he visited GHS? That stands for Greenville Hospital System. Why doesn't he go to the cancer floor and walk down it with a light shining from the other side so that his shadow would hit the beds of those people with terminal cancer? Why doesn't he do that? Why does he stage a show with people that have been screened three or four times by his specially prepared handlers that know what kind of a person will quickly enter psychosis and fall when he waves his hand in front of them in front of bright lights and in front of a large crowd. If you don't know any of this, you need to go online and find out how all the big healers work. They never go into an audience and try to heal anyone of anything in particular. You can get almost anyone to have enough of an adrenaline rush that's in a wheelchair that they can stand up for five minutes but then you find them in the parking lot afterwards being led, being pushed in their wheelchair back to the car to go home. There have been studies done by all these healers. I mean, about all these healers. It's a joke. We're talking about something different. We're talking about Peter just healing by his shadow. And no games were played. You know, Philip and the things he was able to do in Acts chapter 8. Paul healing by his hankies. The whole church shaking with a prayer meeting in Acts chapter 4. and the revelatory gifts that were given in 1 Corinthians 12. The prophecies are great from the Old Testament looking forward. And you had some of them read to you this morning. John 4, when Jesus was speaking to the woman of Sychar, or the woman of Samaria, when he said that I have living water to give, that once you drink of it you'll never thirst again, she was confused for a while. But eventually she knew that she had a prophet there when he told her how many husbands she didn't have. And she went and got her family and brought them out and other people from that city came out and Jesus preached to them and was there for a couple of days. And he said the fields are white unto harvest. And he wasn't talking about reprobates and tares. Power. Looking forward. That's why Leon read to us John chapter 7 that Jesus said out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water but the Spirit was not yet given because Jesus wasn't yet glorified. It's when Jesus died and purchased for us the spoils of His great victory over this sin-cursed world. There were some children of God in it that God sent the Spirit down upon them at the day of Pentecost. Because Pentecost followed Passover by 50 days. That's why it's Penta, 50, after Passover. He was seen alive 40 days, and there were a few days that He wasn't around. And then the Spirit of God fell on the church. And what a change it made. Thank you, Lord. Sometimes we say, I'm glad to live on this side of the cross, and that's still true. But we also ought to say sometimes, I'm glad we live on this side of Pentecost because we have the indwelling Holy Spirit. 
And when Joshua read that to you a few minutes ago, he wanted to point out that Peter said the promise of the Holy Ghost is to you and to your children and to all that are afar off. And we are afar off. We are a long way from the Middle East, but God has given us His Spirit. I hope that everyone in here, though I'm not foolish, knows what I'm talking about in your life. But more than that, about the, the power of the Holy Spirit in you to bear spiritual fruit. But more than that, I hope that you're convicted that you want more of that power. Right. And that you're willing to seek it the way that the Bible tells us to. I had the privilege of hearing in my lifetime, and some of you sitting here, a few of you sitting here also had the privilege of hearing Ian Paisley preach from Northern Ireland. And I can't uh, mimic his wonderful accent from those British Isles, but I appreciated the way he started. And I was just a, a young, foolish lad but I appreciate the way he would start his sermons. After reading the Scripture, he would have an opening passage of Scripture, and after he read it, and God shall stamp with His divine approval this reading from the infallible book. Amen. Then he would pray, and his prayer would end with these words. He would pray for God's blessing on the preaching of God's Word. To this end, I take the promised Holy Ghost, the blessed power of Pentecost, to fill me to the uttermost. I take. Thank God He undertakes for me. And the people of God said, Amen. Amen. Amen.